Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest has lived two lives in boxing. Firstly, as an amateur and then a pro fighter. And for the last 34 years or so, as a referee and judge, he boxed against and alongside world champions while he was an active fighter and has worked as an official for some of the most exciting bouts we've ever seen in this country. Both roles have taken him all around the world, but it all started for this guy in the Irish fight capital of Belfast. So now we welcome Mr. David Irving to the Rocky Road. Or uh, do you go by Davey or D? Because I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. David, David Irving's grand. Sometimes people call me D more so than Davey, but I get all, all sorts of Davey, D, and David. You know, you know, most of the family call me David. <laughs> what do your enemies call you? That's that with <laughs> a bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, David, it all started for you back in back in Belfast in um, in the Holy Trinity, I believe. That's the that's the club Holy Trinity, Mike. Mickey Hawkins and uh, then um, his brothers uh, Thomas and Harry and and you had um, other helpers at the time, um, Jordy Jordy Harper and that and uh, and Joey Irving and they they were part of like living in the estate, Turf Lodge estate, um, way back and flip me, I would say probably nineteen seventy. So. Uh, I was um, I was eight. Then maybe ten when the club started to develop a bit more because it was only a wooden hut, and Mickey and his helpers and that and his dad was a roofer and you know they started to build the build the boxing club from a wee hut till something manageable that they could hold like a lot of kids from the area to come and do boxing and. And not only just that, sometimes on a Sunday we always have five aside. So we always had a wee bit of a mix there with a, like a social thing it was too, you know, just starting out. Yeah, so I was about 72, say I was, I really was then starting to talk about like getting boxing fights and, and Mickey got um, the Holy Trinity strip, you know, and, um, and like it just seems like like when it's reminisce about here, it just seems so, so, uh, um, I was so good looking back, but yet probably put me back there. I wasn't, it was a tough time, like, you know, 
was going to say, like, what do you think the eight-year-old from Belfast who kind of kickstarted his own boxing career back then, what do you think he would have thought to, to look ahead all these years later and see the David Irving of now, uh, just, yeah. just back home from Saudi Arabia where he's officiating on a, on a, a fight card topped by a YouTuber versus a TV star <laughs> with some boxing connotations? Unbelievable, like, you know, and, and and Kevin, that's the truth, you know, it just seems to be society now, it's more in, on on the sort of social media um, that sells tickets, and that's what it's about, whether, whether you can fight or not. Not saying that they can't fight, but where they get that amount of money and, and, and prestige about the boxing, it's just unbelievable, you know. So you you were refereeing on the undercard. Were you involved in the main event, which was obviously for anyone who's living under a rock? I know there's a lot of people who are gleefully ignoring the event, but uh, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury in Diria. You were flown over as a WBC official, and you were refereeing on the undercard, and I think judging a couple of bouts as well. Were you? What, what was your involvement, and what was it like for you the experience being over in Saudi? Uh, uh, like, yes, and I've, I've I've been I've been there a few times this year. Um, I've been in Dubai, you know, and uh, um, uh, I judged one of the fights in Dubai. It was, uh, and um, Barry Jack, Barry Jack fought a guy called Rivieri, and uh, Barry Jack was an English champion, and he actually won in Saudi Arabia. There, he won the world title. But when I when I judged him um, in Dubai a few months back. Um, I give it against him. I thought he was beaten. Um, and I think the two other judges give it to to him. So, in a, in a weird way, it got me more good publicity because everybody knew and everybody felt that he didn't win the fight. So, that's how refereeing goes sometimes, that you could be really on the money um, and people want the fairness, obviously, and, and obviously you know what you're looking at to come the next show. And and it seemed to catapult me, catapult me into a lot more shows in the Middle East. Yeah, because normally coming out as a referee or a judge, if you're scoring a fight, if you come out on the wrong side of a split, if you disagree with your fellow judges, you look like the the odd man out. Now you're not supposed to know what they're scoring, but if you do come out on the wrong side of a split, that's that can be a bad thing, effectively, can't it? Oh, absolutely, Kevin. And, and I, I was cringing because they called it out. The MC shouts out the scores from each judge, and the first two judges' scores were for Barry Jack, and I knew I thought Riviera beat him. So when it came around to me, I was sort of cringing because you, you, sometimes you, you you feel like you've uh, you haven't seen something that's, that other people have seen, but no, luckily, you know, I've been doing the game, I've been judging and refereeing a long time now from. 2012 and uh, so it's like over 10 years now and uh, I do have confidence now in my decisions um, and that's probably a big thing now at the level that I'm at to have them confidences like the, you know no matter what kind of uh, criticism I know that, that what I see and what I, I feel is right and that's what stuck to my guns and obviously um, it pays off eventually so what was your view of the whole uh, the whole kind of circus in Derry at this time? Um, did you get to watch the main event? Obviously, your your night yeah. was finished at that stage. Yeah, I'd done sort of, I'd refereed sort of four, four fights on the show. And um, 
then I went back to we, we, sitting at ringside, which is another fantastic. Like I wasn't really um, like caught up in all the, the hysteria for Tommy Fury and uh, Jake Paul. I wasn't really, I wouldn't like catch my imagination like like watching Tyson Fury or Mike Tyson or you know or some of the, even you know some of the local lads that are really doing well. So it was just a, more like a pantomime to me. I thought. And that's seemingly how, how it went. The boxing show, was, the fight itself, was like, I know Tommy Fury won the fight. And that, there was no problem about that decision. Um, I know the, the American judge gave it against them. But there was a, there again, there was a wee bit of politics there. But yes, um, it was great sitting there and, you know, and there's such a buzz all around the world. And and like, like that feeling when you get back home, like everybody's buzzing about Tommy Fury and buzzing about Jake Paul, you know, and it's the society we're in. It's like not 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 really about boxing, but it's still good to be there and ringside seat, you know, yeah. and people asking your your what your belt who won the fight, which I, I always thought Tommy Fury won the fight, no problem. I guess it's that pre, that pre fight. If you're going to be watching an evenly match contest, and uh, there's a lot of anticipation, I guess. It's hard not to get sucked up into it, especially if you're there and uh, you're lucky enough to be sitting ringside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. What did you think of the standard of boxing? Do you think, um, for instance, right here's one. Yeah, Jake Fury prior to the fight was calling out like, "I want to fight Carl Froch," and oh, you know, given time, I could beat Canelo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, do you yeah, think yeah. he? Do you think he could win an Irish title? I would say he'd have a hard job even winning an Irish title, Kevin, and that's the truth. Yeah, tough enough, kid. Um, um, fit enough. He comes from sort of MMA boxing or something. He comes back. He comes from some sort of other martial arts type fighting. But um, I would say that like I wouldn't be betting on him even with the nice title. So and what about what about Fury from seeing him up close? Do you think he can go a little bit further? Just talk like yes. could he win a Central Area title? Could he win an English yes. title, let alone a British? I think he could, man. Yes, I think Tommy Fury could. Um, he's got the right team around him, and uh, they seem to. There's a toughness with the Furies, which we know with uh, obviously with Tyson Fury, mm. like they're, they're amazing, like inner strength, you know, they have, which is like unbelievable. So suppose like Tommy wasn't really pushed that hard, you know. He had, I think he had a broken rib. He was telling, he was saying, which may have helped, um, may may have stopped him from probably. You know, being more aggressive, maybe, but even with all said and done, he still won the fights. And uh, yes, and um, you know, he, he keeps going, getting through. And it reminds me of Tyson Fury in his early days. He's you know he's scraping through fights there, but he's always showed a lot of courage, you know, and a strength. And then obviously now he's like he's unbelievable. Yeah, so and we'll, probably, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that later on in that stage in the. In the official stage, as an official in that stage of your career, you uh, obviously refereed Tyson Fury in your own home city. But we'll we'll go back to your days as a boxer. I believe you began at the age of 10 um, or, you know, maybe started training at eight, fighting at 10. Um, A good rise, won Ulster titles, Irish Junior Championship in 1980. Was that the highlight there already in in 1980 or was it when you won the, um, like what's now called the elites, but the seniors uh, in 1982? The probably, the most memorable time was the 80s when I won the All-Ireland, uh, you know, um, lightweight 
um, junior, junior, the juniors. Um, and I can only, before you move into the senior level, it was like, I think it was, um, yeah, it was 20 then. But um, that was that was an unbelievable time because at the time, because you're young and that, and, you, and the troubles were just passed through the troubles like in, in the estate. Um, it was unbelievable. Going to Dublin even was like a big journey, mm. a big visit to Dublin where Mickey Hawkins and them days, like Mickey Hawkins was only like 10 years older. I look back on Mickey Hawkins, like he's only 10 years older than myself. And he was able to put all that time and effort and build a club up, you know. And he's only like, you know, like, and I, I was joined at sort of 10, he was 20 only. Like, it's amazing. Like, so when you look back on it, like, you know, the, the work that he put in for free, powerful. Yeah, run the business yeah. as well. Like. Yeah. And, and yeah, like, I mean, did your did your club almost benefit from the trouble Belfast was going through? Because like if you look at that uh, championships in 1980, in the weight just before you a featherweight like Damien Fryers also wins. I think like the best like effectively the best club in Ireland was the Holy Trinity in and around the time. Gary yeah. Duff from Albert Foundry as well as well came down, uh, won a title that year, um, and plenty other successful yeah. fighters from Belfast at at that era. Like it was great, yeah, yeah. Did did your city shape you into the into the fighters you became? Well, that's what did shape us because um, we started to believe in ourselves then because everybody thought it would be nearly, it's nearly impossible to win in Dublin. You always had that feeling that you had to knock them out to win, get get a decision in Dublin, down south. So you were kind of always up against it, coming from the north. And when when the North Ireland title was like an unbelievable time, yeah, um, beat Stephen Ormond. Um, in the final, and I picked up the best boxing award of the championships, which was, was which was uh, the most memorable time for me. I'll, I'll, I'll pull you back there. You beat Patsy. You refereed Stephen on many an occasion, but you beat Patsy. That's is he the fun, uncle? Yeah. Or is he the uncle? I think that's, that's a dad. The dad. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I refereed his son. Yeah. How time goes quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what are your recollections growing up of the 70s in Belfast? Because that's obviously when you're spending your time in the gym because you don't just suddenly become an Irish champion in 1980. There's no. a lot of work that goes in during the 70s. But at the same time, there's, there's a lot of distractions in Belfast as well. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a crazy time. You must look back on it as almost a surreal time. I don't think it's perfect these yeah. days either. But. No, no. But them days was really like, you know, it was right, right on your doorstep, on your front door, you know, like, guns and bombs and, and threatening sort of behavior by most people. You know, it was a like like I always used to joke, like like language is powerful, strong language and strong people, no aggressive people, you know, it was just like a oh, it was an unbelievable time. And having that focus of going to Holy Trinity Boxing Club, like was just like saved a lot of us, and that's for sure. Yeah. But in, in March 1982, like the uh, Argentina invaded the Falklands. John, Bel- okay. the actor John Belushi died. And uh, do you remember? Do you remember much of it, or were you just completely focused on uh, on boxing at the time? Because you entered the Irish Senior Championships, and um, you had two stoppage wins at the very start of it. You, um, Pat Murray, and Peter oh, Murphy. And Murphy, yep. Stopped the both of them, and then uh, you reached the final. But in the other final, do you remember what happened? In the other semi-final, sorry. Um, I'll give you a clue. You were supposed to fight one brother or the other. 
So um, I think Martin Burton and Sean Burton from Eden Derry both won their quarterfinals, but they were drawn against each other in the semifinals. And I believe uh, Martin got a walkover over, over Sean and then you fought Martin Burton in the final. Yeah, because what happened was um, Martin Burton went to the Olympics. Martin Burton went to the Olympics, you see, um, at that time. And at that time, we also wasn't that strong, you know, rep, re- representation for the sport, like get fighters from the North, you know, like they were duly uh, qualified for the Olympics. That, um, they couldn't get them. Um, they seemed to pick people over the better people from the North because they used to put it down for experience. They tell you anything, but at the end of the day, um, I should have went to the Olympics. Martin Braden went instead of me. And then sure when he came back from the Olympics, I beat him in the final. That was a strong Olympic team as well. It's like made yeah. made some stars and it would have been a great opportunity as well. Obviously, are you talking 1980? Obviously, Huey Russell went across, won a yeah. medal. McGuigan was involved. He later had involvement with McGuigan's professional career. But yeah, it would have been, it could have made it could have set you on a different course in life, I guess. Oh, no doubt about it. Because um that was 1980, and we, and uh I went to European games with the the Irish team and like what you say McGregor was there dear boy McCauley Martin Braden you know um, and Jerry Hawkins are, are the same club Holy Trinity Richie Foster a great boxing team and I always was better than Martin Braden but um, they picked him over me um, and then just at the, in the All-Irelands sorry proved my point when I beat him in the All-Irelands a bit of yeah a bit of revenge yeah. there for yeah, but there was a great trip in Rimini. We went to Rimini in Italy, and uh, it was a fabulous time, European Boxing Championships. Um, I think we got six pounds a day. That was our, our, our money for um, survival. <laughs> Who was on that trip? I was Brian McGuigan and Dave Boy McCauley and yeah. Jerry Hawkins. Was there a story around that one, Davey, uh, just at the back of my mind? Was there a car lost on the beach or something? Or was there something? I think what happened was there was two, there was two things that happened. Dave Boy McCauley was told not to buy any gold and buy anything of anybody because it would be um, they would be taken on. And we were all told this. And uh, we were out for a walk and Dave Boy McCauley run back into his hotel. We were wondering why he was racing into the hotel. And uh, Dave Boy always had a we better money is they always they always they always had a wee bit of money, dear boy McCauley. And uh he came out with a lot of money to buy a gold chain and a gold watch. And away he went and bought them some guy on the beach. And uh Jerry's story was the the, um, the coach and he says, Look, you, you lost all your money there because this is all false. And he put it on uh, a bottle of coke. He put the, the jewelry in this bottle of coke and the next morning it was totally black. So McCoy was there, McCoy was there looking for the guys, but no chance. They're away, gone. <laughs> you know? So I was, I was kind of like, you know, dear boy, what a character, like, you know? Yeah. But, and and McGuigan, uh, McGuigan was wild, you know, in very strong, very much, you know, take a chance by during. And we were in motorbikes and he crashed his. And we had to, we had to, Put him on it and push him, so he would drive into the into the motor motorbike's place um, as if like nothing was wrong with the bike. 
so we can get his passport back. Oh, no, so yeah. We had a couple of moments there that went okay, like, you know, went okay. We didn't we've get all, caught on, like. <laughs> well, we've all been there, yeah, on all this. In, in 83, I think it was, your, was your, your last year as an amateur. There's a couple of notable yeah. ones as well. You toured with the Irish team to the USA yeah. and uh, took on the world champion. Uh, yeah, Mark, Mark Breland. He was coming Mark back from he, he was coming back from a hand injury, which nearly ended his career. Uh, he was the big star. It was televised in America. That's right. It was outdoor outdoor in San Francisco. I was a yeah. It was a fight all rangey fighter. Unbelievable! Like one of the greatest amateur boxers of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before I went out into the arena, people were coming into the dressing room telling me if I beat this guy, it'll change my life forever. So not only was that um, pressure, but I felt like I shouldn't be here. I just didn't feel like I, I wanted to go out and fight him. Do you know who his sparring partner was before he took you on? No. Mike McCallum oh. at, the, at the Crunk Gym. Oh, my goodness. So, like, you know, I think that's is that the same year that Mike McCallum beat Sean uh, Sean Mannion from Galway, or was it the following year? But either way, it was, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Mike McCallum was his sparring partner. Powerful. Do you remember who was on the Irish team making that tour? On the tour, yeah. Well, again, my teammate Jay Hawkins. Um, um I remember uh, Jay Story's other son, uh, his son, uh, not Sam Jerry. Jerry Jr. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Junior was on the show, and we used to laugh because even you know, Jay Hawkins and myself, we both fought, fought Olympic champions, and and Jay's Jay's the way the coach, his son fought. We used to joke somebody from the chip shop. <laughs> so even then, it was like abuse within the team. We were fighting Olympic champions, and they were, they were fighting nobodies. But sure, look, that's where it went, you know. I'm sure he's done a great job, Jay, story in his years of being a coach, but always the, the best is always comes out. Was that um was that something you were able to get over? Because obviously against Breland, it didn't go too well. I think you're stopped in the first. It looked like the commentators didn't give you much credit. They said, Oh, he's gone down with something that didn't look. We didn't really see what it was, but you can see watching it. He's hit you to the rib, he's hit you somewhere to the solar plexus or the ribs. That's right. Yeah, right the rib, the yeah. That's right, yeah. I wouldn't be one for giving up like, but I could hardly breathe. I can remember him hitting me in the ribs. I actually thought I broke a rib, but um, no, it was just took the wind out of me. Yeah, and, and fairness, so you got up and attempted to go again, but uh, once you started throwing punches and you were trapped in the corner, that was it. Yeah. The, the fight yeah. was done. Yeah, it was Do, done. Like, yeah. Were you devastated or were you kind of like, ah, look, you know? No, no, I, I don't like getting beat, and that's the truth. And that's probably one of my sort of uh, like, I, I never would say I was a natural fader. I would I'd be more like, as I look back on my career and, and my work and things that I've done, I'm more like dogmatic. I would keep at it and try and achieve more than actually be talented. I think I don't think I have a lot of talent, I more determination and, you know, and uh, dust myself there and get back in again type of attitude. Yeah. And boxing was like that for me. You know, it was a tough road and uh, I got some bad decisions and, you know, and just, what can you do? You just have to dust yourself down and get back in again and turn that around. That same year, uh, 1983, at the Commonwealth Championships, what does the name Bob McKenley mean to you? 
Bob McKay, he was the ABA champion. That was up in Nantum Forum, that boxing fight. Um, yeah, that was Ireland against England, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a, again, that was a, a big fight. Um, I knocked him out, I think. I knocked him out. First Bob round. McKay, first round, yeah. Knocked him out, yeah. That was always a good puncher. So it was, yeah, it was always a very good puncher. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a great result. And I, I used to, my dad used to always buy the Telegraph and we used to get the paper, you know, when he used to um, bring, the, and Jack McGann was the, the, the sports editor and, and Jack was always very kind to me. No no matter where um, I'd won or I got beat, I always used to get the headline for some reason. Right. <laughs> you know? But um, he gave me a great bit of press over beating Bob, Mc, knocking Bob McKinley out, you know, photograph and headline. So, and then them days like was great, you know, around the estate. It was great momentum, like wins for myself and, and my clubmates and that. It was great sort of atmosphere in the place, you know, took your mind off the troubles. Yeah, beating the British champion as well would, go, would always go down well in Turf Lodge. Oh, big time. Yeah, you were like a hero. <laughs> is that the sort of victory that maybe turned the promoter's head maybe what got B- BJ sort of interested in securing your signature do you think like you stopped the British champion in the first round you do it now it's going to it's going to turn heads so in 1983 I, I don't see why it'd be any different no no and that's right and we were being asked, what happens at that time we were being asked by Bonnie Eastwood like and his son Stephen Eastwood um, a lot of times to turn professional and and my coach, Mickey Hawkins, Mickey didn't like the professional game and he wanted to hold on to us within the amateur game, myself and Jerry and uh, and Damien Friars and he wanted to hold on to us um, and not go professional because I say he never liked it and probably look back now, I know what he's, I know where he's coming from because 99% of people don't go anywhere but luckily, luckily, Bonnie Eastwood seen something else in me. Mm. You do, you know, think, do you think you might have made the 84 panel for uh, Los Angeles at the Olympic Games? Tough, I would, tough. Yep. Like, there was a guy called Kenny Beatty. And he went to the Olympics. He went to the Commonwealth Games too. But, Kenny, but I, I beat him. I won that. I didn't beat him. But I beat the guy that beat him. Uh, a guy called... Uh, um, Stephen Stephen Freel, I think is call him or um Stephen Freel they call him uh oh um um I can't think of what you call him, but he beat him in the semi-final um in the championships and I fought um him in the final and knocked him out too, actually. Um so there was a like attitude pedigree around that new division. Like ten stone, ten seven. Um, I would have fancied my chances with any of them, but um, money was tight. With like, there's nine people in my in a four bedroom house in Turf Lodge. There wasn't much money about, and uh, it took a lot of money. Boxing too, you know, traveling to places and buying boxing boots and buying things, and you know, when your money's right till the very like last penny being counted for. It was yeah, tough there, was, there was no funding for boxes. I think I remember Mick Dowling telling a story of 
one of the boxers had a whip round done from he worked at the post office and you know they raised a yeah. hundred quid or they gave him a plaque or something like that and yeah. the IBA told him to give it back because that wasn't in the spirit of amateur boxing so it was it was it was hand to mouth and yet yeah, you'd have I to take off um what like did you work in sales as a young guy what, what was your what was your thing and I worked yeah in sales Austin's Austin's uh menswear I used to work in sales yeah and uh but thinking like that too Mickey Mickey used to run wee functions and try and get money up for the fighters that, that were traveling internationally. You no, know, he used to uh, do fundraising events. Mickey it's did. always going to be difficult to to like and fair play to Mickey for doing it. But it's always going to be difficult to cover two weeks' wages if you have to take it off work and you've got nothing coming in. Where yeah. were you in your family? And nine were you among the oldest or, or the youngest? Did you have to provide and, for brothers and sisters? And well, that's right. You're in the middle, three older and three younger. Yeah. And you well, and whatever money you earned was going back into the house. So that, that that was a small family back in the eighties. Yeah, seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people would people would collapse if they had seven kids nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nineteen eighty three, Barry McGuigan wins the British. Then he wins the European title. It's yeah. McGuigan, McGuigan fever. You turn professional January nineteen eighty four to kind of join that up and coming band of Belfast fighters are coming up in Barry McGuigan's slipstream. Of your 11 fights, eight of them were on uh, McGuigan undercards. That's right. And you made your debut at the King's Hall of all places, like scene of yeah. scene of the great, um, you know, Johnny uh, Johnny Caldwell against Freddie yeah. Gilroy fight in 19, That's right. 1962. Um, McGuigan <laughs> fights as a charm, Chituli. You're on the you're on the bill alongside Dave Boy, uh, Huey Russell, Roy Webb, uh, you know, it's 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 party central almost. What what's your recollection of your debut? Was it difficult to prepare for? Difficult to turn over, or was it just all uh, good times and optimism? All all good times and optimism. I I always worked hard, um, and I always made sure that everything was done, um, regarding fitness ways and and them days you could never like look at who you're fighting. You couldn't look into their their sort of how they fought or the records really as such you just had to take it that um, you were ready to go and and whatever they give you you're going to give them double and really that's when I that's what, that was my sort of um, people have like a type of uh, like ceremony before they go into fights I just always like to look back on every box being ticked that I've you know all the training that I've done and all the right sparring and preparation Everything's covered, my dad and all too. So I just sit down in the dressing room, ready to go out to fight. Big, enormous crowds because of Barry McGuigan, obviously. And and uh, I just know with confidence, even though you're still very nervous, um, that everything's done. So there's no there's no regret. So we just give it the give it the best I can. And first round knockout as well. It goes your way. Do you remember the celebrations afterwards? Unbelievable, yeah. Unbelievable again, yeah. And I always had a, always had a bit of a bad hand, um, always even in the amateur game. You know, my red hand like was my metacarpals, my my, my my knuckles used to go over the metacarpals and swell up. So there wasn't a lot of fighting in my hand. Um, the more I put them, knock people out. My hand like I was fought in championships. I couldn't fight like quickly after that. It only have to be one fight and then a bit of a gap because my hand was so poorly. You know, it wasn't just strong enough. So when I knocked somebody out, my hand would be um, 
under enormous bit of pressure of pain and have to go and bathe it in paraffin wax and ice and, you know, and, and squeeze the, the tennis ball and strengthen it up again. So sometimes that overshadowed my happiness, you know, and celebrations because it was back into hard work, getting my hand back again for the next fight. Were there realistic conversations taking place at, even from the beginning? Like, uh, Davey, it doesn't look like you're going to have a very long career yeah. here. You know, you're going to just have to take every fight as it comes. That's right. Take, just be cool and don't um, get too excited and, and try and take your time. You know, like kind of a, like, like look after your hand as such. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, even in sparring, like Barney Eastwood and that, and Eddie Shaw, like he's God bless me, he's away now. Obviously, um, he would say, and so is Barney Eastwood. Obviously, um, they would say, no, no, no red hand, no red hand. So he's always trying to stop me from throwing the red hand, even in sparring. Makes you pretty good with your left, I'm sure. Um, That's right. You didn't go in easy at the time. Uh, second fight, you get an unbeaten guy in Birmingham, uh, Tony McKenzie. Yeah. And uh, you lose yourself and Dave, Dave Boy's taken to a draw on that one as well. So it's it's a big upset, I'm sure. Yeah, second fight, and you're not looking to lose that one. No, and that, and that was I can remember too because I can remember my sister coming down. She lived in and uh, close by, and uh, she called in, and Jim Watt was there. Um, and uh, it was a bad decision because the referee stopped the fight, but there was no way was I any way in danger. I, I actually put him down. I had him down already. And uh, and he maybe at that time three or four shots he made it hit me, but it was nothing that was uh, like it wasn't down. It was never under pressure. And the referee stepped in, <laughs> he stepped in and called it off. So that wasn't really a true reflection of how that fight went. So like you're able to at least look at it with your team and say, right, look, uh, I, I was it's not a devastating loss. We can take a loss, and you did bounce back with four wins in a row. That's right, yeah. because because uh, I remember Jim Watt t- talking to me um, after that fight. He says, "Look, you'll go a long way. I'll just take these bad decisions uh, on the chin. We just want to have bad decisions, you know." And and uh, you know, referee just stepped in and shouldn't have been that way. But it didn't really matter because, as I say, and as you know, as you can follow my career, my hand was always sort of way good, but I couldn't last too long. My hand. So as you say, I had four more wins after that. Uh, knockouts too, I think they were. That's right, yeah. Uh, John Murray, Danny Shinkwin at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, Ray Price back at the King's Hall, and yeah. then uh, Les Rimicky at the Corn Exchange in, in uh, Brighton. Yeah, and Shankwin and all, they're all good British uh, fighters, you know yeah. what I mean? Championship fighters, I was putting them out and knocking them out, yeah. Yeah, Shinkwin's son is, uh, was a pro boxer until recently as well. Is that right too? Yeah. yeah. And but you fought so you fought so many times. You, you made your debut in 1984 uh in January. You fought nine times that year. Yeah, powerful again. Most most of them were knockouts. I think they were you lost one on points. I lost uh, to Dave Hegarty at the King's from Hall. Scotland. Yeah, from Scotland, yeah. Was he a bit of a nemesis? Because he, 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 he was, yeah. He was like he didn't fight like your normal fighter. He he's three punches from up and over they were like they were like sort of um, like, like an uppercut only from the other direction they were coming from down the way they were, coming, they were throwing them over his head coming down and, I, and 
I certainly couldn't deal with him. I was much better, fairer, no doubt about that, but he kept catching me all the time, you know, and whatever, whatever style he had was just, I couldn't, like, work it out. So he got you on points. That was in October of uh, of 1984. And you, you did yeah. rematch him yeah. at Loftus Road, June of 1985, on the Barry McGuigan Eusebio Pedroza bill, which you almost ensured was cancelled. That's right. You'd almost yeah. put Barry McGuigan out of that fight with an injury. That's right. And I read you a little piece from his book. He says, we, we began to wind down my heavy sparring in preparation for moving across to London. I was close to the weight and we were doing a final few rounds of sparring a couple of days before my fight. I did six rounds with three different guys, the last of whom was Davey Irving at Belfast welterweight. It was literally the last round with the last guy in the last sparring session. And I threw this long left hook at him that pulled all the tendons down my arm. He moved into it and I didn't think he was going to. That was why it happened. I could feel it immediately and thought, oh, Jesus, what have I done here? Yeah. Everything, everyone went, what's up, what's up? And I said, it's all right, it's okay, even though it wasn't. I finished around or 30 seconds ago and thought, what do we do now? It was really sore. Um, so it sounds like he was he was nearly gone. The, the, the main event was nearly canned. And when we would spoil a lot, because McGuigan was always very much, like I was doing heavier. And he was always like, he never really want to spar or, or work out with people his own weight. He's always looked for people heavier or, or, or better, like sort of a stronger than, than, than himself. And uh, yeah, when I sparred McGuigan, sometimes it got hot and heavy because he wouldn't hold back by McGuigan. And, uh, but they were sharing me about my red hand, no red hand, because I knew like, <laughs> Well, I didn't want to hurt the other fighter. Plus, my hand wouldn't last too long. But 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 knocked it out again. Yeah, so you can't use it. You can't keep McGuigan off with the right hand. So you're one-handed facing against him, even though you got the stone advantage. That's he right. is one of the best fighters in the world at the time. Yeah, no, most definitely. So my left hand was ready to fall off. I used it that much. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 are your what are your best best memories of, of those times? Uh. Any fights stand out like because we're, we've reached your last one like against Dave, a rematch with Dave Hegarty, Loftus Road. Uh, why was it that you rematched him as well? Like you'd, you'd lost some points to him uh, the previous October. You say yeah. you now he was quite awkward. Was there a clamor for a rematch? Was it such a good fight that everybody wanted to see it again? I think you only yeah. lost it by a point and a half on the referee's scorecard. Yeah. Uh, was there? Was it one of those bouts that everybody wanted to watch again, or was it just like? Well, that's lost, right. You'd lost other people as well, and and there was no rematches. So what what was it that about Hegarty that that they put you together? I think what happened was uh, I lost a fight with a boss fellow called Jeff Hagler. Um, I was in the seventh round, um, but with Dave Hagarty, um, that was a point when um, I got like, quite a lot of money nobbins. People threw money into the ring. It was that good of a fight. So I always knew it was far better fighter than Dave Haggerty, but it's just his awkward, you say, style. Why would you want to fight him again? But I think they thought it might be a good one for Loftus Road and then catapult me up into some sort of title challenge then after Haggerty. But um, the sad thing was I called him the first round and put him down and Again, that was me. I was at the end of my career. My hand was just, I never felt pain like it, Kevin. See, when I hit him, he just dropped. 
my whole my whole arm was shaking like 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 electric shocks with pain. So that was the end of my career. Then that was it. You knew, and just I just knew there's no way back from that. It was just too bad. It was just like I felt sick and everything. It was just so bad. I knew it done damage. Did you? So did so, you even try and salvage it? Did you go to the, the medic, the medics? Did you go to the hospital? Did you go, go get scans? Everything like or you just yeah, try to get scans, try to get the bone fixed, but couldn't do it. But and like like Bonnie at the time would have paid for anything for me because I could see potential. I was building myself up, like you know, getting more mature and getting more knowledgeable about the game. But um, the hand was just always holding me back, Kim, and that's just really uh, just putting the end to me. Hmm. Yeah, it must have been it must be disappointing though to to finish up after eleven fights, or were you kind of maybe grateful for what you'd experienced because you knew from the very start that this this is this could be short lived due to the hand. Yeah. Because of the hand, I would have always regretted not going professional because I knew Emily, I knew that I wouldn't have long with the hand, so I gave it a go anyway, and uh, and uh, just what I always thought it would come back to the. And it would come back and, and haunt me, the hand, you know. Has it ever given you any trouble since, in the years since? No, 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 no. I haven't hit, that, haven't hit anybody, so no. <laughs> never had to break up two fighters and uh, no. throw, a few, throw a few. Or never had the temptation to hit Ormond just because uh, just old habits die hard. That's right. No, no, never, no. No, never had that inkling to hit anybody. <laughs> You're a peaceful fella. Um, how was it that you made the uh, the transition across from one side of, from one side to the other? Because you've lived out, you know, you you've lived out being an amateur boxer, being a professional boxer, and for a lot of people, that's it. They might move into coaching, coaching amateurs, or try helping out at the pre- with the professionals. They're they're all teammates or whatever. Yeah. Not too many. Not too many boxers go into refereeing and judging. It's usually maybe officials that have been involved in the clubs and that have kind of come up. The lads that couldn't box almost, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but it's so, it's refreshing that uh, ex boxers do get involved as well because you do have an, an advantage having been on both sides of the ropes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And and suppose at the time before um, after I fought Haggerty and Muhammad was gone, I got done a lot of up, like a lot of work on my hand operations and. Um, therapy um, and I was in the gym and it just wasn't strong enough with all the work behind the scenes and at the time Bonnie Eastwood said to me while I was doing some sort of shadow boxing um, would you ever consider refereeing and when he said that to me I was actually just finishing off my, my uh, training session I went and, and really I went what is he talking about refereeing like, and I'm thinking of being a British champion or maybe moving on to be, you know, some sort of Commonwealth because I knew the people around me, I knew it was, they were beatable and I knew, and like some of the boys that have knocked out had beaten them. So just needed a wee bit of luck with my hand, but my hand just wouldn't have a strong enough, Kevin. And so I couldn't understand them saying that to me, but then I realised like as, as time went on, I didn't pick them up on it. I said, look, I'll give this a go and see how it go. But as time went on, my hand was just never going to be any way good. So it was a thing that uh, I went to myself, sure, may as well, you, as you say, you keep in the game because you've been in the game like 10 years. Like, uh, 
big levels and travelled a quite bit of the world. So maybe the referee might give me a wee interest, you know what I mean? So, so I says, okay, well, I'll, I'll take you up on that and see where we go with that. 